As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now... Here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership, a special edition of Dose of Leadership brought to you by Equity Bank, where we highlight local Wichita leaders and entrepreneurs. And great guest today, Dr. Sherry Utash. She's the president of WSU Tech. Formerly, it was Wichita Area Technical College. And since 2015, she has overseen the transition of that college to the Wichita State Campus of Applied Sciences and Technology thus WSU Tech. And prior to that, she served eight years at the college as vice president of academic affairs. And with 6,500 students, WSU Tech is the largest technical college in Kansas and acts as the managing partner for the National Center for Aviation Training. Just a couple weeks ago in February, President Donald Trump appointed her to the national board tasked with steering the future of higher education. What an honor. She's going to work with captains of industry such as Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and Doug McMillan, the president and CEO of Walmart, to combat what uh, Trump calls a skills crisis in the American workforce. So we're honored to have her a part of that board. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. I love doing this. I'm, I'm really appreciative of Equity Bank have me do these face-to-face with such great leaders as Sherry. And uh, she epitomizes the type of sacrificial leadership style that we talk about on the show. Uh, in simple terms, she truly gets it, and it comes uh, through clear in this conversation. And uh, you're in for a real treat if you're looking to make a difference in your leadership journey. We can all learn a great deal from Sherry. You're really going to enjoy this. Again, this special series or this episode is brought to you by Equity Bank. At Equity Bank, the team knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's, again, it's been an honor for them to sponsor this series. It's been exciting to watch them grow here locally into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And clearly, this team at Equity Bank understands and knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, then I want you to check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com and learn more about them. And again, thank you for tuning into this special episode. Now sit back and let's all learn from Dr. Sherry Nutesh. 
Well, Sherry, so excited to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So local Wichita, uh-huh. born and raised here? Born and raised. I'm a native Wichita. Tell Been me here about my that. whole life. Tell me about that. Um, born at Wesley Hospital. Me too. And uh, attended uh, Price Elementary, Coleman Junior High, mm-hmm. and Southeast High School. There you go. Go Golden Buffaloes. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, left and went to K-State and got my undergraduate uh, at K-State, had four great years in Manhattan, moved back to Wichita, and actually started in the um, journalism business. Oh, did you really? So you, that was your dream, right? You were going to be, yeah. a, what, a reporter? Were you going to be a media personality? What no, were you going to be? I actually, uh, my degree was in journalism <clears throat> and a, uh, undergrad, or a minor in uh, marketing. And so I uh, went to work at the Wichita Eagle and Beacon right out of college. The Beacon. <laughs> yeah, I was there right about the time they closed the Beacon and uh, started out with a, uh, a, a selling advertising for the Eagle and Beacon. And I started out with a beat that was way on the west side of Wichita. And the west side of Wichita did not look like it does today. <laughs> right. <clears throat> if you might remember, Manor House Furniture used to be there and Goddard. So anything from Manor House West was my beat. Wow. Now let's think about this. At that time, Goddard had, I think, a gas station, a little <laughs> grocery store, and a meat locker. Right. And I beat the streets of all of that area uh, wow. in my very first job right out of college. And um, and and that that began my my job in uh, in 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 the marketing industry. And I stayed in that industry for you know several years, and then moved to education. But uh, ultimately. Um, uh, got my master's degree at Wichita State University and completed my doctorate uh, at National American University a few years ago. Wow. Yeah, it is funny. And I know people who aren't from this area when we talk about the West Side, but I know I'm a West Sider too. And I, I love those stories of of hearing about, you know, you got past Tyler and there was nothing, there was nothing else, you know. Oh, back in that day, you know, Town West was, yeah, I mean, was, I, right. I opened Town West Shopping Center for or yeah, Town West Square for um, um, Mel Simon. I I was their account manager uh, for, with the Eagle uh, back then. So yeah, it didn't look like it does today. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. So it was pretty slim pickings. And, I can imagine, man. You really got to learn how to sell. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine, you know, because there's probably wait, there's nobody here. I got this. You know, it's like a ghost town almost over here. Oh, that's so fun. So passionate about. Um, education now, obviously, and the opportunities in this city and the manufacturing jobs and getting people and understanding, hey, there's more than just this four-year degree. Um, there's plenty of opportunities out there. How did that lead to that? How did you go from, you know, this marketing, this working at the beacon to, to, to go into this path? You know, how did that happen? So I worked in uh, the advertising business. And then uh, once I became a mother, I went from corporate, the corporate world to the private world, and I owned my own business for several years, and it was a retail business uh, and also a general contracting business that I worked uh, with my husband at the time on. And then due to a personal circumstance, due to a divorce, I actually um, went to a person that was a headhunter that I had, that was now a headhunter that I had met when I was selling advertising. Okay. And she, um, um, I said to her, I've got to have a job. And so she took me to a networking lunch, and I happened to meet a very wonderful woman there um, who was just getting ready to open the West Side Center at Central and Ridge for Wichita State University. And she said to me, "Boy, I'm you know I'm going to I'm I'm really interested in talking to you, and I you know hope our paths cross again." And I said, "Well, I do too." And so about three weeks later, I get a call from her, and she said, 
you know, I'm looking for, I'm going to be putting an ad in the paper this weekend for a director of marketing I'd like you to apply. And so I said, great, I will. And uh, my, my third day on the job, she said, I don't really need a director of marketing. What I needed is an assistant director. And I said, I'm going to be the best darn assistant director you've ever seen. <laughs> and that started my career in higher education 22 years ago. I'm interested about how you, you instantaneously jumped on that when she presented you that opportunity and you almost you grabbed it like a, a, a hungry fish on a hook. Why, why so quick to, to jump on that? What? I was a hungry fish on a hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, um, but I will say, you know, that I had grown up. Uh, in with higher education, my my dad was the vice president for finance and administration at Wichita State for fifty four years. So from the time I was five years old, uh, he was you know I I I kind of bled black black and gold. Yeah, went to all the basketball games, right. went to the baseball games, um, even saw a couple of football games before that was all over. Mm-hmm. So. You know, Wichita State was uh, something that I that I knew and I was aware of, and uh, there was just something also about this woman that really resonated with me, and I thought I knew I could learn a lot from her, um, and that that happened in a short amount of time. I I kind of think those are, are are like God things that come yeah. in your life, and you know, you just have that good feeling. Mm-hmm. I go with my gut a lot because yeah. my gut usually tells me good, and. Um, I just knew if I ever had the chance to work with her, that's what I wanted to do. I love that story because – and it hits a, a couple points that we've talked about on the show a lot. And I'm a firm believer in too. And, and I've, I've, tr- I've forced myself over the years to become more self-aware and more attuned to those moments, those opportunities, that uh, kind of gnawing. You know, some people call it fear, butterflies, whatever, throat tightening. But I do think those are – barometers on what you probably should be doing, right? And I think all when, when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about leading a significant life, um, all the great leaders, all the, the, the people that you and I have looked at and said, wow, they've accomplished some really significant things, uh, and we admire, that they're so self-aware about that, right? That piece, right? Because mm-hmm. I think those opportunities, however they are, the, the universe, whatever you want to believe, provides them for you if you're doing the work and you're attuned and self-aware, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point. And self-awareness is a, is a really good point with that. Um, I just, I find that there's those synergistic moments in your life. Right. And if you are very aware of what's going on and you are looking to better yourself both personally and professionally at every step of the way, Uh, And that you can really focus in on those that are opportunities and steer away from the noise. Yeah. Um, And that that they usually lead to something really, really good. And I'm a big believer in, you know, you never burn any bridges and you always leave your options open. Yeah. You said something really poignant. I want to point is is help eliminating the noise or whatever you just said there. That is, the, that is the battle, right, that mm-hmm. I think that we all face. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned, listeners of the show have heard me say this countless times in here, but it, it's, it was significant for me. One of the biggest lessons in talking to all these people is, uh, and at least for me personally, it was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, freeing to find out that all of us on a daily basis have to battle those dragons, right? Mm-hmm. It, it never goes away. Barbara Corcoran said that on this show. And she said, you know, for years she was told she was, you know, a D student and was always dumb. And she believed she was dumb until someone 
connected her and her first husband and showed her you're pretty good at this and you're smart. But she says even now she'll get in a negotiation and it's going south and she goes right back to being that fifth grade girl that's dumb, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you always got to battle it, right? Yeah, so how do you, you do. silence those? I mean, obviously that you said it, the self-awareness. Mm-hmm keeps you in tune to what's going on around you and helps you better prepared for those opportunities when they're presented. But how do you silence those voices? So I think for me personally, you know, for me personally, um, I, I just, I just have this really, you know, I, I try to stay really in tune to my core values and who I am as a person and who I want to be as a person. Uh, and I do that in my personal life. And then in my professional life, you know, there's three questions I ask myself all the time when I'm making a decision. Is this the best thing for students? Is it the best thing for the institution? And is it the best thing for our employees? And if I can answer all of those three, then I know I'm making a really good decision. So it's like staying focused and staying mentally on track with what your mission, both personally and professionally, are, uh, and making sure that you are moving in ways that are going to align with that and actually uh, enhance it versus maybe being caught by noise that will take you away. Right. The shiny object, the leads, um, the, the doubt, the, the insecurities certainly can drive you to some of those Yeah, and it's decisions. tempting. I mean, oh, you, always sure, have, right? you always have that other person on your shoulder going, oh, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But um, I, I think it's, 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 it's a practice. Uh, and, it, you know, I mean, I, I continually do this all the time. It's just something that you continually have to work at. Um, but I am a great believer that, you know, your integrity is what you come into this world with and it's what you leave this world with. And there's not very many people that were, will be remembered because of shiny things they chose, they, they, they chose to chase. They will be remembered by how they gave back, what kind of a person they were, uh, you know, how did they build up other people uh, in 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 their in their professional and personal life, and how did they make this world a better place because they were here? Well said, you know. And I think that I've I boiled it down to when I was in Scouts, and I try to, um, you know, you always need to make the campsite better than you found it. And I think that is the one obligation that we all have. That really is when you boil it all down mm-hmm. and like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a quick little way. It's just, it's, you got to make the place better than you found it. Mm-hmm. And, I always love that thing about, you know, there's a dash between the year you were born and the year that you die. What's in your dash? Yeah. I, I mean, I always think about that a lot. And, and what do I want that dash to mean, both personally and professionally? And those two things are extremely aligned for me. It sounds so easy and simple when we talk about it. And it's so true, but it's the work, it's doing the work to get to that because mm-hmm. you're so distracted by so many other things. Mm-hmm. And the distractions and the, are real. And they're real. And the temptations and, and and like how did I get here, what, and everything, life. And so you, it is a daily – I think you're right – a daily habit, a mm-hmm. daily personal intention, intentionality of who am I and what am I standing for? Mm-hmm. Stand and who for do something. I want to become? And who, and who do I want to become, mm-hmm. right? Who do I want to become and how am I going to get there? And is this going to create an opportunity for me to become better um, in my in my in my personal life, my core values, my business relations, um, my ability to help students, my ability to help business and industry look to the future? 
um, at, uh, through the work that that I, that I do at the college, and then from my personal standpoint, you know, what kind of a role model am I for my children and my grandchildren, and um, what how do they see me, and how does that fuel the future of their lives? Because that's kind of the important part right now. Yeah, how do they build their lives based on intentionality, core values, integrity? Yeah, um, and I I hope. I hope, hope, hope that I demonstrate that for them, um, and I and I'm very cognizant of it, very aware uh, that I I am a role model for that. Yeah, I love man, I love everything you're saying, and I I try to do the same. But you know what, my challenge in and my struggle is is when I don't, I I beat my I, I just it's almost like I go on a a slide. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I don't live up everything you're saying, that sounds so good and it sounds so great, mm-hmm. and I want to be, I want to be just like you, and then I miss the mark. Whatever, I lose my bearing. I lose mm-hmm. my temper. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same person when nobody's looking. When you know what I right, mean, right? Exactly. And, and then I'm like, ah. Oh. But don't you kind of look at it that that I I mean the way I look at that is it's almost like if you're when you're entrepreneurial you have to be a risk taker mm-hmm. and you're going to make failures. You're going to have right. failures, and as long as you learn from the failure and you don't, you know, continue to dwell on the failure, you learn from it and you move forward. I kind of look at it the same way on this other because we're we're humans and we're going to fall down and we're going to trip up and, you know, we just have to pick ourselves up, learn from that and hopefully move forward. And I think those two things are very aligned and, and interlinked in our lives. I agree. And I think you're right. I think that is the answer to pull yourself back up from the slide mm-hmm. is realize, well, look, what does this even mean? This Failure is kind of almost like a nonsensical word at this point. Mm-hmm. What does it even mean to fail, right? And then you're like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess when I die, you know, I or mean, if I just completely quit. Failure is a learning moment. Exactly. And that can happen in um, our behaviors and that can happen in entrepreneurial efforts in our businesses and organizations and our professional life. I mean, it, um, I that's the way I see that anyway. And it's okay to fail. Yeah. Because if we're not failing, then we're really not trying to be a no. better person. We're not trying to be more entrepreneurial in our organizations. We're not trying to better the world that we live in. Uh, we just have to not dwell on it. We have to learn from it, pick ourselves back up very quickly, and move on. And not be fearful to fail again. Yeah, because it's part of the process, right? Yeah. And you look at everybody who's achieved anything of significance or made the campsite better, it's never a straight line. It's a jagged one sometimes backwards mm-hmm. because it's just part of the process. Yeah. And you're right. And I think – and I love – and I remember I think back to all those organizations, those leaders I've worked for uh, both in the military and the professional setting and even now. It's those those leaders who embraced those failures with a, a confidence and an enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And and when everybody starts taking those smart risks, mm-hmm. it's almost like the failures become even – like the, the little stuff, like the stuff doesn't get hidden. The trust gets up. You know, people aren't hiding little things like, like mm-hmm. oh, I I overnighted this and it was $300. I don't want to tell anybody. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people are making smart decisions when that kind of freedom comes out. And it all comes mm-hmm. from, like you said, embracing those failures, right? What do you think when you hear that? I think I agree with you because I do think – we have to embrace that. And I think we have to learn from it. And it is just okay to not be perfect. Yeah. It is okay. And it's okay to own it. And the other thing that I think about all of that is that I think as leaders, it makes us vulnerable mm. and very human. And I love that. 
Me too. I am uh, extremely, uh, as a leader, I I, I I really value transparency. Mm. I value um, vulnerability in humanizing ourselves because that's that's who we are. And I think that's okay. And I think if we do that as leaders, then the people that we're leading and that are learning to become the next group of leaders can take those as part of their core value as well. Amen to that. And I, probably the last 10 years, I've really embraced what you just said and seen it in action, both personally and then with other people too. It's like, you know, it's just people don't follow you because you're some magnanimous, charismatic. Mm-hmm. They follow you because you're courageous. And when they and to be courageous, you've got to be authentic and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. People will line up and follow that all day long, I say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, for so many uh, years in our culture, being vulnerable was seen as a negative. Yeah, as a weakness. I, I see it as a huge positive. Huge and strength. I think, I, think that's, I think that's a key to being a good leader anymore is that you do show your vulnerabilities, which, you know, goes right along with, you know, owning your failures – uh, admitting when you failed, admitting when you should say you're sorry, admitting when, you know, maybe you miscalculated. But you know what? We learn from that. Or maybe there's a nugget of something good that came from that. And then how do we build upon that? Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? and not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks, by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities, all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I always say you ha- you can be up to your ears with alligators. And yeah. Nobody needs to see you sweat. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes people confuse when you're up to your eyes in alligators that it- being vulnerable means, I, you know, yelling and screaming that I'm scared. No. no, 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 right? No, it becomes, you know, an authentic. You can be authentic about your feelings. At the same time, as a leader, you have to always be confident that you're going to weather the storm and that you're going to get through, and you're going to make the very best decisions that you possibly can. And those could have positive or negative outcomes, but you're going to do the very best that you can as a leader. And I think that's that's that moment in time. And we all have those moments where you know that you have to elude a lot of confidence, even though you may be feeling inside, 
you know, that you're not sure exactly what your next move is. And then afterwards, if you share that with somebody, that's okay. Well, that uh, that's the that's the powerful, I think, aligning moment. And they make what you were scared. You know, it's kind of like when Sully Sullenberger landing on the Hudson, yeah. and it was like, oh my god, he was like so calm, and he was this mm-hmm. and that. And then when you talk to him, he's like, that was the most petrifying, falling through the floor, bottom pit of the stomach feeling I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. I was petrified. You were petrified. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known it. Well, I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And but that's he hand- a- handled it with grace, right? You know, you have to handle it with grace and dignity and confidence. And then at the same time, humanize yourself when it's all over by saying, hey, you know, I was scared. That was scary. I wasn't quite sure exactly what my next move was, but I – but again, you you, you know, as a leader, you need to be guided by pragmatic thought processes um, and and design thinking and thought leadership and those kind of things and not by emotions necessarily all the time. it's composure. I think it's the the bearing piece – and I mean, everything we're talking about here is what separates people from, you know, these are all the tenets of leadership, right? I mean, it's it's being composed 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. That takes work. That takes intentionality. Mm-hmm. It's being confident when nobody else around you is, right? Suspending the belief that this is going to happen. That takes confidence in yourself, not knowing how you're going to get there, just but just knowing that you're going to solve it, mm-hmm. but not knowing how at the moment, you know, and the right. consistency and the courageousness piece, right? Uh, yeah. I obviously um, you've had a lifetime here of, of marinating on all these topics. I'm curious though, you know, just like me and you, we didn't get there. At what point did it start to? What what point did it did the leadership piece, the things that we're talking about here, start to become fully aware to you? Because for me, and even people that I coach and I talk, they're always focused on the success piece, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I want to be successful. I want to be successful. And what we're talking about here, at some point in your life, you start going, wait a second, this is about having a significant life, not a successful life. Right? That's exactly right. You know, that that's so key, though, that you focus on the significance of your life. Yeah. The success will come. Yes. You focus on the significance. Why do you want to be here? What do you want to be? What kind of a person do you want to be? What What do you want your legacy to look like? Yeah. How do you want to be remembered by people? Um, what's important to you and how do you take what's important to you and then put that into whatever work that you're doing? Yeah. So for me, um, I, you know, I, I don't know that there's a real turning moment, but I will say this, you know, in working for a lot of different leaders through the years, um, I've always studied the people I worked with and I would learn as much as I could from them about things that I thought they did really, really well. And contrarily, I would learn things that I didn't think they did mm-hmm. so well. And I was a real, I real, really studied that in people. Um, and I think that's really helped shape my leadership. Um, but I also think, uh, you know, there's, there's the big thing about is leadership, can it be learned or is it innate? And I do believe it can be learned. Uh, and I think that you become a better leader by studying other people that you think are good leaders or contrarily studying people you don't think that are very good and then realizing why, why, why that doesn't work. But I think everybody comes up with their own style and there's no one style no, that's, no. that's right for everybody. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not, but for me, that's kind of how I built my leadership style. And I ask a lot of questions and I, um, I, you know, I'm a, I observe behaviors a lot. I love I, that. Follows a lot what 
when I, when I look back when you were when you were talking and saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, that kind of mirrors. And right, there's no one defining moment. I mean, there's certainly uh, bigger moments than others that kind of pivot the path dramatically more than others. But you're right. I mean, I remember when I was in the Marine Corps and I would sit there and I, w- I was kind of focused on, okay, I got to be this larger than life, charismatic John Wayne because I'm in the Marine Corps, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm really kind of an introvert, kind of a quiet. I like this one-on-one better than mingling in a big, right? That's just me. Mm-hmm. But I started observing and watching, and I'm watching these leaders that had that just exuded influence for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing that guy has. Well, I mean, look at. I mean, I would follow him through the gates of hell, but he's kind of funny looking, and he's kind of skinny, and he's quirky, and he's kind of shy, but he has this exuded influence. And what I found, what it was, is that he was all these things that we're talking about. He knew who he was. He knew what he's trying to do. Everything was external. Everything was giving. Everything was sacrificial, meaning he was sacrificing in everything that he did. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to your three questions that you're asking. It's in that same umbrella that I'm sacrificing my time, my energy, my passions, my love so others may prosper. And yeah. that's what's wrapped up a, in your three decisions that you make. I'm a big believer right? of that. Yeah. I really am. You know, as a leader, you, 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 know, you set vision and you share vision. Um, you influence, you coach, you facilitate, um, you know, if you do those things right. You know, at the, the other thing at the college that, you know, we I talk to all of our employees about, um, and it's kind of a mantra of what we do, is, you know, if we come to work every day and we do two things and we do those two things really, really well, everybody wins. And that is to give the opportunity to people to better their lives. Give them an opportunity. You don't give it to them. They have to earn it, but give them that opportunity. Give them the pathway. And then the second thing is, is that um, that we educate um, a, a high-quality workforce for this community so that we can be globally competitive. Now, if we do those two things every single day, I say if you walk into this college every day and you just think about doing those two things, providing people the opportunity for a better life, and creating a well-educated, trained workforce to meet the needs of our community. Those are the two things you do when you walk in every day. Do those two things, everybody wins. Yeah. I love that because it goes back to the, the belief when leaders, when I pick, you know, what, what do I do? And I think I just came back from one of my clients and talking to some middle manager, and, and they're still in this mindset thinking that my job as a leader or their job as a leader is to stand up there and to motivate the crowd. I'm like, it's not your job. You can't, I can't motivate you to do anything, mm-hmm. right? No, you can role model it. Exactly. And you can walk the walk and talk Setting the talk. Setting the example. You, you set the example. And creating the environment to where people can succeed. And then by you taking that effort and communicating, and I think it's what you just said right there. I love how you said that because I think that is the key, particularly as the higher you get up in the leadership chain, that your job really is about maniacally communicating what we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. here. And like in how you articulated those two kind of intents or mission statements or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, we have a formal mission statement, but, you know, if you boil that down, it's those two things. These, this is my intent. When I, my intent for you when you walk through these doors is to do X, Y, and Z. And you're probably, I would imagine, that the bulk of your communication, even when if it's just a passing in the – somehow, some way – 
sometimes subconsciously or consciously. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends because at Equity Bank. Because it's the basis of what we do. Make sure you to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Eek Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day. Everybody plays into that. I always say everybody has a role in teaching and learning. All of you, everybody contributes to the success of students. Yes. And so if you, you know, that's the kind of people that we want to to come to work for us. We want the people that, you know, want to be a part of that, want to be a part of something really greater than themselves. Uh, And it it is a great opportunity to do that and has, you know, a lot of intrinsic value. Um, Like, you know, I say commencement in May is the Super Bowl of, of, of our world, you know, and there's nothing more gratifying than being at commencement and watching those students who have worked really hard and have made great sacrifices and have defied a lot of odds, actually, to, you know, have their dream. Yeah. Because the, you know, I mean, you know, hope has a face and it's the face of every one of those students that come to us because they do have a hope. They do have a dream Mm -hmm. or they wouldn't be there. Right. And um, all their dreams and hopes are different, and our job is just to help them get on that pathway. Um, and, you know, we're, we're preparing people for um, entry-level um, work in many industries, IT, healthcare, nursing, manufacturing, aviation, um, auto, auto technicians, uh, climate and energy control, all of those different things. That's, where we're, that's what we're doing. But here's what happens. Then they go to the workforce and they become so confident in what they're doing. Many of them will continue on. They'll continue to build their career pathway with their educational pathway side by side. Yeah. And they'll continue on to develop that two-year associate degree from that technical certificate and then on to their baccalaureate degree and then on to their master's degree and maybe even beyond that. So one of the beautiful things about the affiliation with Wichita State University as we became WSU Tech is we were an educational opportunity from GED to PhD. And that is an incredible opportunity for this community uh, to embrace. And, and, and there's something for everybody. Yeah. So we know that we can help everybody within that continuum. That's a broad, broad level of continuum. And then you build ways for people to enter and exit out of that as appropriate with their career pathway. You know, I've never heard anybody explain it that way, and it makes perfect sense. And it's an absolute opportunity. And I wish more um, young adults, you know, young gra- high school graduates could could see that. So what you're saying was just was so articulated, so uh, beautifully and inspirationally to me that it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because I, the thing that drives me crazy about the perceptions and the culture of college, and it is, and it's, and it's different than it was when you, when you went mm-hmm. through, when, when I went through. And it's almost become, and then on the heels of that, this morning of the, the, the story about the, the, the yes. scandal, you know, where these wow. rich, 
you know, influencing and, and it's just this side door of trying to get in and it's all about uh, image and it's, there's, it's not real, it's not fluffy and it's just the message that it sends. It's just, it's just disgusting. And th- for years, and even when I graduated in the mid-80s from high school and thinking like, well, yeah, you either went, you know, four-year degree and you had to get one if you're going to be successful or, okay, the dumb kids went the vocational route. You know, and I look back at it now, and, and my daughter, who went two years at Wichita State, and she's like, ah, she just wasn't. She's now she's floundering, and she's a great student, straight A student, and she's mm-hmm. floundering because it just doesn't fit. And I think back, if I was like, if I was a kid and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and you're getting the societal cultural pressures to get this four year degree, I honestly think I would get a trade skill and be. I would I would learn how to weld. I would learn how to plumb. I would learn how to do something. And I would take that and then – and that's what I love about your path because I think culturally 20 years ago we were taught, well, you're going to be a plumber and that's it. You're either going to be dumb and be a plumber or you're going to get a four-year degree and have mm-hmm. – you know, make six figures a year. That's yep. not the case. And that's that's a, that's the, that's the exact poster that Mike Rowe has. You know? he exactly. Has, he has a poster that depicts that. But here, let's think about this. So I talk to parents all the time you know, and um, especially high school parents. And everybody, you know, is going to be an engineer and a doctor and a <laughs> right. lawyer. And, I, and that is absolutely wonderful. And I hope that is the case. What I say to them is, okay, if your son or daughter is going to be an engineer, while, while they're in high school, why don't they take a, a, a class in Katia and learn engineering drawing? Mm-hmm. Why don't they take a class in machining and learn how to machine a part? Because all of a sudden, they're going to be a much better engineer because they understand the production part mm-hmm. of engineering not just the conceptual theory part. Same thing in healthcare. Go through and be a CNA and get your certified nursing aid uh, certification or be an EMT. Find out, do you really like this work? Exactly. And you're going to be so much better because as a doctor, then you can interact with these people and you're going to really understand where they're coming from, what they're doing. There's all kinds of opportunities like that. And so when I think about this, it, it you know I think we need to re-engineer education to be thinking about how do we build building blocks of education and certifications that are recognized by industry? And then how do we align those with a career pathway appropriately um, so that um, everybody has that opportunity to start. And some people may stay there, and that's absolutely fine doing that work. Some people may decide once they get into the workplace, they see somebody doing something else, and they go, I want to do that. Here's what I have to do to do that. So when we look at jobs, uh, when we look at the outlook of jobs, by 2025, which is just a blink away, 75% of all jobs, of which many of those we don't even know what they are today, mm-hmm are going to require some kind of post-secondary credentialing. That doesn't necessarily mean a degree, but the credentialing can lead to a degree. Right. And I think that's the important thing that we have to reculture the way that we look at education today and higher education. And then does and then to me that automatically brings a higher value to education because it has a return on investment. So, for instance, if, um, if, if somebody can move from a minimum wage job to, um, of 7 or $8 an hour into a job that pays anywhere from 15 to $20 an hour with nine months of, of education. That's life-changing. That's life-changing. It's life-changing for them, for their families. Um, and, and it changes the trajectory, in many cases, 
of the of the of the history of of their lives and yep. what they've been told. Yep. So it's not a matter in my mind. It's not a matter of do we ask the question should people go to college? The question is where should they go to college? Yes. And what should that career pathway look like? Yeah. And how do we align the education with that appropriately in order for them to, you know meet their initial goals, create self-efficacy, know that they can do it, and then continue on to build on on both their career and their education. Because as you said, I mean, once you get them on that trajectory, that starts a tremendous amount of momentum. Mm-hmm. And, what, and, and, and to get people past that hurdle, mm-hmm. I, I love what you're doing. And I think I, it's just intuitively, again, you know, Mike Rowe, I know, is passionate about this. And, and intuitively, how do we get people to understand there's so many opportunities? I don't buy into this myth that – uh, and my oldest daughter said that to me. She's like, this is the toughest. I'm like, no, this is not. This is the greatest time to be alive on the history of the planet. Mm-hmm. There are so many Absolutely. opportunities. There's no greater time. No greater time. I mean, young people have so many opportunities today in so many ways that they can begin to create themselves. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that that I love about today's world is – you know, I think for – I'll just speak for myself. You know, in my generation, it was always so much about loyalty to different organizations right. and companies. And I don't want to – I don't want to minimize the, 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 the value of loyalty. But what I love about young people today is the fact that they're hungry and they're eager and they will figure this out. Um, and there's – their their career pathways, as they look back on them, are going to be quite different yeah. than what mine has been in in many ways. Um, and that's okay. And, but and in a lot of ways, it's exciting too. Right? Yeah, it's exciting. And I do uh, – the other thing I think is you just got to find an alignment of passion. Yeah. You know, so if somebody's struggling, they just need to find an alignment of passion. And what does that look like? It's different for every single person. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that's the beauty of, of living in America. That's the beauty of um, a nation of work and a nation that was founded on building things yeah. and making things. Yeah. And so what is that going to look like for us uh, You know, as we move forward? I'm extremely honored and, and I love my job to be able to play a part in that and to be able to really change people's lives. Well, I can tell and I'm excited. Um I'm excited to even even hear more about WSU Tech. How can people learn more about it, find out about it? I mean, and this is just in Wichita, but how can they learn more about what we're talking about here? So we have four campuses here in Wichita, and then we have a we have a lot of online programming as well, so we can span uh, across uh, outside of Wichita with that. Um, but we focus on aviation, manufacturing, IT. Uh, skilled trades, which we would consider cl- climate and energy control, automotive technician. I mean, I was just driving down, driving on Kellogg to come here this today, and Rustyak has this huge sign that says WSU Tech today, Ec uh, Tech tomorrow, <laughs> nice. and I'm like, and it's co-branded, and I'm like, that's beautiful. That's awesome. What a beautiful thing. That's yeah. that's a great thing. Um, but these, you know, so we create that pathway, and we'd love to talk to people. I mean, I think the thing is, is people just need to not be afraid. We'll help you decide. We'll help you figure out what pathway you want to get on. But the thing is, is that we have a lot of needs in in our workforce locally. I mean, nationally, 
we have a job skill gap of 7.3 million jobs. Locally, we're just a microcosm of that, but we have that here. Yeah. And there are a lot of opportunities. And what I don't want people to miss, you know, whether they're whether you're young or whether you're, you know, in your midlife career, I don't want people to be afraid yeah. to reach out to us and to start their career because really that's what we do. We just start somebody's career. Awesome. I love it. I got to say, I could talk to you for hours about this. I mean, I love your uh, internal sense, your internal core, your vision of leadership. You would be a great CEO in any organization. I think I've met a lot of, and I've coached a lot of CEOs who don't get it at the level that you get it now. So somehow your, you know, your, your upbringing, your life experiences has brought you to this point. Uh, you definitely sound like you're the right person for the, you know, they need you in this role. And uh, it's just so exciting to see someone as passionate as you that gets and understands uh, the kind of the, the agape love style of leadership that's so needed in, in throughout the world. And um, WSU Tech is lucky to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, I owe a lot of this to my dad. Sure. Um, I mean, I and my mom, I mean, I had a great, I had a great childhood, knew I was very loved, um, was very supported in everything I chose to do, whether it was a success or a failure. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, continue to be. And I'm extremely blessed that they're both still alive today to, you know, watch what's going on and be a part of my life today and my children and my grandchildren's life. So um, very, very fortunate in that. And I think that's so important. And we work with so many people that don't have that in their lives. Yeah. And I think that's where that servant leadership and that giving of self from every person that we uh, employ at WSU Tech comes into play um, because everybody needs that. Everybody needs somebody to help them. Yeah. You know, and I, I say this, I've said this for years, that we gently have to shove students into their future, yeah. lovingly and gently yeah. shove them into their future. Love it. Great conversation, Cherry. So so honored to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh-huh. Thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.